Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that may not have been here over the past three weeks, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount as part of the lectionary reading, and we've been in Matthew chapter 5. And in my sermon a couple weeks ago and Martha's sermon last week, we both made reference to this verse, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, Matthew 5.20. And then we have this passage at the end of Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you're getting this idea that we're really supposed to be, if you will, good people. And in fact, if you were to look at the Old Testament reading for today in your pew Bible, it would say, having to do with holiness, moral and ritual holiness. So really, what these passages are getting around is this whole notion and idea of being holy. What does it mean to be a holy people? But it's very fascinating that Jesus, in this particular section of Scripture that we have today, uses this passage that was very well known to the Jewish people, an eye for an eye, and you could finish it, a tooth for a tooth, right? We even know that passage because it's so common. And interestingly enough, all the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because it was in the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, they would both embrace it, so it would be spread throughout Judaism. It was found in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So they would all know it, and they would all quote it. And really, in many ways, if they practiced it, you'd have a lot of blind and toothless people, most likely. But what's behind that law, in many ways, or that idea, that concept, is the whole concept that we really, from childhood on, it's almost inherent in us, we want life to be fair. We want what happens to us to be fair. Right? And that's really what this is about. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We're talking about fairness. If I put out your eye, you should be able to put out my eye because that's fair. Right? It's about fairness. But from childhood on, most of us have that belief, don't we? If you have siblings... You understand what I'm talking about. You know, when it comes to a piece of cake or pie or them staying out later, you staying out later, who gets the car? We always want it to be fair. That's not fair. What's also inherent in all that thinking is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Again, that's, there's a little bit of fairness in that whole concept and idea. But really what's happened in our culture is it's become a little twisted. And it really goes back to childhood because most of us really, in some ways, have never grown up, grown up when it comes to this whole notion and idea of fairness. Do unto others before they do unto you, right? That's really more what's in practice today 
Because we want. And so when we say do unto others before they do unto you, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you, we want to be the ones, if it's a good thing, we want it to be us first. And if it's a bad thing, we want it to be them first. Fairness. That's what we cry out for. But that's really not what the heart of even the laws in the Old Testament are about. Because as this passage unfolds, both in Leviticus and what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, is there's a striving for something more than just fairness. That all these laws that we see in the Old Testament and frankly in the New Testament, that give us guidance and give us direction and tell us about how we live out the law, is really more and more driving towards love. That's why when you have the Ten Commandments and then the laws seem to multiply in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and you're now over 600 laws, it's really to explain that the laws have more and more application. Because really when you take it to love, it expands the law. When we're seeking the law and the law exclusively, we're saying, what can I get away with? What's really the bottom line here? Instead of love that totally expands the law and multiplies it. So that we begin to think as God thinks, which the law is there to guide us and direct us and to teach us what it means to be holy. But holiness is really about love, which is exponentially beyond. That's why you see in these passages, be holy as I am holy. I'm the Lord your God. Be holy as I'm holy. And holy isn't just about legalism. It's about love that law guides and undergirds. We're constantly reminded of that. Because in many ways, we are also, most of us, if not all of us, legalists at heart. We really are. If you really examine your life and your heart, you are a legalist in some way, shape, or form. You've got your rules, right? Let me tell you an experience I had this past two weeks. The week before last, I was driving down to Tallahassee. And it was a really cold morning. And as Meredith and I were driving, we went over one of those expansion joints on a bridge... I think it was the one going from South Carolina to Georgia. And I hear a... And I'm thinking, oh, that doesn't sound good. And then we hit the expansion on the other side of the bridge, and and I thought, I recognize that sound. My windshield is cracking. And I couldn't find it. I'm going 75, 80 miles an hour, but I couldn't find it. So we heard it another couple of times as you go over like bumps or something like that. And I said, I know I got a crack in this windshield. And then I look up and right around the rearview mirror, it's, there's like this speckled stuff on my particular windshield. And it's cracking right around the rearview mirror. I just am envisioning that the whole windshield is going to break away from the rearview mirror and just come in on top of me, right? But there's this crack that just keeps growing because it was a chilly morning and we're going fast and we're hitting these bumps and everything. So... Anyway, I was hoping I could get it repaired, but as I watched the crack grow and grow on our trip down, I realized I need to get the windshield replaced. 
So when I got back, Monday morning, first thing, before staff meeting, <clears throat> I call uh, our insurance company. And it was Monday, so it was President's Day, so there was this handler handling the phone calls, right? Can I help you? Yes, I got a cracked windshield. I think it's probably going to need to be replaced. Okay, let me get your information. Now, where are you calling from? Hilton Head. We would go over that five times. I am not kidding. In the next five or ten minutes. I read my policy number over the phone. Okay? And she's getting all the information and everything. And we finally get toward the end of it. And she says, now let me tell you the places in Columbia where you can get your windshield repaired. See, now, now at this point, my incompet incompetency meter is starting to go off and I'm starting to tick. Because we got staff meeting at 9.15. And like I thought this phone call would take five or ten minutes. So I'm starting to twitch a little bit. And, and, and she said, and by the way, which car is this, your Lincoln or one of your two BMWs? I drive a Hyundai Sonata. And, and she said, maybe we need to cover this again. And I said, do you think maybe you don't have the right policy number? Because it's dawning on me what's going on. And she said, would you read it off? And I said, sure. So I read it off. She said, oh, there's the problem. She's got the wrong policy number. So we go through the whole thing. This was a half an hour or more. Just to make the appointment. So I'm thinking the whole time, try to be nice. Try to be kind. And this, you know, you need to realize, she can't see my collar, okay? So this isn't just because, you know, I'm a clergyman. She has no idea. I'm just fighting the battle to be patient. And I'm twitching more and more as I'm doing it. So finally I get off, and the guy comes the next day, Tuesday, repairs my windshield. I get home Wednesday in between coming back for the Wednesday evening program. And, and I listen to the phone message. And the phone message says, Hi, this is so-and-so from your insurance company. And have you gotten the windshield replaced on your Lincoln yet? And I sat there for a minute thinking, you know what she did? She never removed the first claim. She entered a new claim and left that in. I love to be right, okay, just so you know that. So I said to the woman on the phone, let me tell you what I think happened. And she checked in. She said, you're right. I loved it. I was fulfilled now. But the point is, <laughs> the point is, is that we all love to be right. We, we have these little legalistic stuff in us. Right? And see, I like competency. So when I deal with incompetency, it's like, I, I really do. I have to fight the battle to try to be kind. But we think they should be, right? They should be. That's what I'm talking about. And really, in many ways, that's what the Old Testament and what Jesus is talking about. That we've all got these laws within ourselves. And law is meant to guide us. It's meant to teach us. It's meant to show us what love is like. But love is so much more. That's why when you get to the end of this, 
That it's about love. And when you get to the end of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in this first chapter is, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not just about perfection and law, which is where our minds always race to. It's about holiness. And God's holiness is also about love. And we can't miss that. We can't miss that. Because we'll miss the point. We are such an impatient, legalistic, self-righteous, in our own areas, people. We need to learn about God's holiness as having a dimension of grace and love. Now, with all that in mind, I want to take you to the Leviticus reading. Yeah, the Old Testament. Because we see this played out in the Old Testament reading. And by the way, you know, when Jesus is talking about this, before I leave the Gospel reading, when Jesus is talking about this, just look at the list of things that he's talking about. He's talking about enemies. He's talking about unrighteous people. Right? He's talking about people who persecute you. And above all, he's talking about tax collectors and Gentiles. They're the worst of all. And what does he talk about when he's talking about all those people? Loving and praying for. So it really doesn't matter what that list is that you have of the kind of people that you don't really want to love or really want to deal with or really be patient and kind to. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus is saying the worst of the worst that they can think of in their culture, the unrighteous people that are around them. That you love them and you pray for them. So we need to keep that in mind when we go to this Leviticus reading. Okay, you can either look in your bulletin or you can look on page 105 of your pew Bible. But you'll see in chapter 19 of Leviticus... The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then you look at the end of that paragraph, really, which is not in your bulletin reading, which is the end of verse 4, and it says, I am the Lord your God. What God is doing right off the bat, as he writes these laws, as he's expanding and explaining the Ten Commandments, and applying it to the lives of the Jews is he saying, let's establish who the authority is here. When it comes to what holiness looks like, when it comes to what, if you will, love looks like, I'm the source. I'm the authority. We so often want to take that position ourselves. And that's why I talked about this internal legalism that we have. And so as this passage unfolds, the first thing that... Moses writes in this section, in verse 3, which is not in your bulletin reading. You almost need to go to the Bible for this. After he establishes that he's the authority, he says, You shall each revere your mother and father. Interesting. So what he does after he establishes that he's the authority, is he's saying, Now for you children that are listening, you need to understand that your parents are the authority. Parents, you love that, right? I mean, this comes right out of here. But that's what he's doing. Why? The reason is, is because in the synagogue system, in the Jewish tradition, 
the men were instructed or the parents were instructed, dependent upon the situation, and they would take it home and they would take it to their children and they would instruct their children. So really, in many ways, what you have is this flowing from God to the parents to the child. And the child is brought up in the household covenant of faith. And so that's why it's important, by the way, for you parents to live a holy life. Not the do as I say, not as I do idea. But you live a holy life because when your children have this idea and understanding of what holiness looks like, guess who they're looking to first? You. So what God is doing is establishing authority. And we are so anti-authority in our culture. So the parent is the one that models. So then he goes on to write, verse 4, Do not turn to idols and make cast images for yourself. I am the Lord your God. Now he's talking to the adults. Saying, by the way, you need to remember and keep at the center who the Lord God really is. It's me. It's not any idol that you might cast or make. Now, you know, there's a lot of gods that float around in our culture. And, you know, especially now, sometimes people get their idea and mindset and picture of God because of all kinds of different other images and pictures, including, especially since you've got movies like 300 and Pompeii, you know, Zeus comes to mind. Or you think about Thor, Odin comes to mind. And we get this picture of God. That's not really God. But what other gods might creep in? Our whole idea of idols? But with Adam and Eve, it was becoming God themselves. You can be like God if you just eat of this fruit. And that's one of the things that we do in our lives, that we become the God. We say what love looks like. We say what right or wrong is. Or we basically transfer our desire of what we want God to look like up in the sky. And the picture still reflects what we want God to be like instead of who he describes himself to be through his word. And what he desires for our lives through his word. And it's a false image. Let me suggest to you a few that we have in our culture that are much more subtle. Success. However I get there. Doesn't matter. The ends justifies the means. But success is my God. So I define my life. What I worship. The devotion of my time and my energy and my thoughts and my knowledge and my growth about success. And we leave God behind. My portfolio. You know, I've got to guard what I have. Because comfort and security, materially, is what I'm really supposed to be all about in this world. Is it? Is that what God says? Or is that another God that creeps into your life? My body. Being physically healthy, being physically attractive. And that whole industry. How much time and energy and effort, because that's the most important thing. How I look. And how I look in the car I drive. And how I look in the clothes that I wear. And making sure that I always look really good. 
Now, you might think I spend a lot of time doing that. I don't. I just thought of that, so I thought I'd throw it in. But the reality is, look at our culture. And the investment of time and resources about that. That's a God. And how those gods in our culture creep into our thinking, and you can see it reflected in our lives, and our lifestyle, and the investment of our time in so many ways. And that's why when he talks to the adults, he says, don't have gods before me. Because I'm the Lord your God. I want you to be holy as I am holy. You need to understand what holiness looks like. And in order for you to understand that, I have to be at the center. You were created in my image. I want to restore that. I have to be in the center. And you can't do that yourself. So I have to show you what it looks like. And I have to give you the way. He shows us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he gives us the way through the cross. And empowering us with the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. We just need to submit because he's our authority. You know, the authorities that creep into our lives, the authority of the cultural experts or society itself, or our peers that we're living for, or we ourselves in our own pleasures, those other authorities that would cause God to be squeezed out of our lives instead of constantly keeping Jesus Christ at the center of our lives and our lives transformed. Secondly, We're just getting going here. Generosity and integrity. If you look at the list from verses 13 through 15, a lot of that has to do with being generous and having integrity, which is the same thing Jesus is talking about, even towards enemies and the unrighteous. See, integrity means your life holds together. There's an honesty about your life. And generosity, I'm not just talking about generosity in material goods. I'm talking about generosity of one of our precious entities in our lives today that we all talk about, our time. Now I want to go back to that phone call. Just for a moment. If I was really generous with my time, and I wasn't preoccupied by my agenda and my time, I can be so much more gracious and kind. I can be so much more loving. Think about that in your life. If you're not as concerned about your agenda and your time, how much more gracious and loving you can be. We are such a driven people because success, however that appears in our culture, is about being driven. And getting what you want and getting what you need. And if I can learn to be generous generous in my time and generous in my spirit, that I do give freely of myself, of my resources, of my time, of my kindness, of my patience. There's a good one. That we give generously of all of that because that's what love looks like. That we become known as a generous people. Because God was generous with us in sending His Son. That God is generous with us with all the blessings that He pours out in our lives. 
I talk about generosity, I'm not just talking about on the outside. I'm not just talking about doing your duty or faking it. We can all do that, by the way. We can all fake it. You know, when I was sitting on that phone, I'm going to keep going back to that, by the way. When I was sitting on that phone, I kept trying to convince myself to be kind, to be nice, to not be obnoxious. I just wish that that would happen naturally. But you know the reality is, because of my internal legalism and my incompetency meter, I'm fighting a battle while I'm on this phone call with myself. Because it doesn't come naturally. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Understand. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because we can't manufacture that. We want to, but we can't. In our little pockets of legalism, in our little pockets of desire that we allow ourselves to fulfill, that are contrary to God's way, when it really comes to holiness of life that totally transforms who we are from the inside out and we live it. It's so hard. And that's why the bottom line, when you come to verses 17 and 18 in Leviticus 19, it's really, it gets down to purity of heart, which Jesus started with in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for theirs is the kingdom. There it is. When we pour ourselves out, when we empty ourselves and we're filled with Him, that's when we can be transformed. When we can truly love our neighbors as ourselves because God's love is poured into us. Then when Jesus would say in Matthew 25, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it unto me. That when we have that mindset that I'm doing this in Christ, that I'm doing this to Christ. And it's done out of love because he loved me. When I read in Colossians 3, do everything as unto the Lord. That's the mindset. That's being transformed by the Holy Spirit. When I see in Philippians chapter 2, treat others as better than yourselves. And then it's right before Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which is the hymn about Jesus. Jesus, who did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And when it's made into a servant and humbled himself even to death on a cross. Why? For us. Why? Because he loves us. So that we can understand what the true life of faith is about. It's about sacrifice of ourselves. We so often want to sacrifice our love. Because we want. We want to sacrifice others. Because we want. What Jesus modeled was sacrificing himself. That's the kind of love we're talking about. So that when you get to the end of this list of laws in Leviticus 19, the last line is, Love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord your God. Let me tell you about love. 
Let me tell you about holiness of life. It's not just faking it. And it's not just outwardly. It's the inward transformation that God is after. And it can only happen through the cross of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working in your life. And I'm not there. And the phone call pointed it out. But the more we submit, the more we empty ourselves, the more we understand that the place of the law is to guide us and expand our thinking about what love looks like and what holiness looks like, then God can change your heart and change your mind and change your life, which is what He wants to do by His power, because we can't do it. We can't. I want to close by looking at a passage in Romans. And let me, let me package this first by saying Romans chapters 1 through 8 is often referred to as, as the gospel according to Paul. Okay? When he gets to Romans chapters 12 through 15, what he's doing is he's applying his gospel. And so you have this, these two verses in Romans chapter 12 as the beginning of the application takes place. That we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. See, what it gets down to is, who or what do we worship, this idol in our lives? Who or what do we worship? Do we really worship the Lord our God? So Romans 12.1 brings that whole thought to mind. And then Romans 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind as God breaks in. As the Holy Spirit takes hold of you and your thinking is transformed and your heart is transformed and then you begin to live it out in his power. Then we get to Romans 13. Great section. It also talks about authority in Romans 13. But let me read to you. Owe no one anything except to love one another for love, the one who loves another, one another has fulfilled the law. See where that goes? Owe no one anything except to love one another. See, when we think about owing, we either think about owing to the bank for our house or our car, whatever it is. So we have a debt. Or we think about owing someone like we're going to pay them back, right? But we don't think about often, owe everyone your love. It's a debt. Because Jesus died for us. And what does Paul go on to say? Because that's the fulfilling of the law. When we love His way. Let me read on. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in the word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul brings it home. He says, love is the fulfilling of the law. You need to understand that's what God is about. And so often, we want to, by the way, contrast the Old Testament and the New Testament. We want to say the Old Testament's all about law and the New Testament's all about love, so I just want to park myself in the New Testament. No, you misunderstand. When Jesus came to fulfill the law, he's saying, I'm living it out wholly and completely. I'm living it out as God intended because I'm living the life of sacrificial love. And that's what the law is pointing to. Don't despise the law. Allow it to guide you. But don't get locked in that it's all about legalism. That's where you get lost. Holiness is also about grace and love, which has been poured into our hearts through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, and then sent the Spirit so that we can be transformed and live this life. A life of love. A life of holiness. Let's pray.
Lord God, you call us to be holy as you are holy. That you are our Lord, our authority. But you're so much more. In Jesus, you're our model. Through Jesus, you showed us what love is truly all about as he died on the cross for us. And then to make it real in our hearts and lives, you sent your Holy Spirit. Father, you are a God who gives, a God who sacrifices, a God who loves. And therein lies your holiness. Lord, help us to be holy as you are holy, set apart from the gods of this world, from our own desires, set apart because of the cross of Jesus Christ, and so filled with his spirit that our lives are transformed from the inside out, that we wouldn't just put up with or go through the motions or fake it, that we would live a life that is holy because we live a life that is loving in and through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.